The scripture reading today is Psalm number two. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everyone. And if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. Get my stuff sorted here. Um, Ali asked me to uh, pass on some of those thanks. She thought Alan was going to be in. So, uh, Alice, thanks for organizing all of this. It's beautiful as usual. Um, uh, special thanks to Kate Morrison for, for uh, yeah, doing that by hand. She's like this detailed artist that's uh, just does stunning work. So um, thanks to, to Tim Farrell over at Village South for uh, designing our beautiful stuff. Thanks to Joy and Lydia for making all of the stars. That's, that's hard work. Um, I hear Paul was up dangerously on a ladder hanging those stars. So thank you for doing that. I'm glad you uh, made it out alive. And then thanks for William and Allison for decorating our trees. Um, yeah, it's always a delight to come in here on that first Sunday of Advent. Um, cool. Great. Happy first Sunday of Advent. If you are maybe new to Village or you came from a tradition that, that didn't observe Advent, uh, let me just kind of quickly introduce you what we'll be doing over the next month. Uh, really, tra- traditionally, a- Advent is the four weeks uh, leading up to Christmas. It's this season in the church calendar that, that really prepare our hearts for uh, the celebration of Christmas. Um, obviously, on Christmas Day, we celebrate the arrival of the King of Kings, the, the arrival of God with us. This is the, the incarnation, God in the flesh, making his home with us, the light shining in the darkness, the Savior who has come to save us. Um, what a miraculous and hope-filled uh, celebration. I absolutely love the, the thrill of it. I, I'm in that camp that says, get the, get the celebration going as soon as possible, right? Get the, get the tree up, get the lights up, get the decorations, uh, let's get going. Um, but that, that kind of pushes against the whole meaning of Advent in a way. So thanks for putting all this stuff up, but according to Advent, it's a little early. Um, Advent is about anticipation. Advent is about waiting in the darkness. Uh, Advent is about longing for God to come. Um, so over these four weeks leading up to Christmas, we will, we will wait. Um, we will sit there in the darkness and feel that longing 
for God to come and fulfill the promises that he's made. And actually, the Bible gives us everything we need to, to do that and to navigate that waiting. And the main tool that God gives us is, is prayer. Um, there are large sections of the Bible that, that help us to lament in the darkness. Um, God gives us these prayers that cry out, why? And you'll notice that the first word of the psalm we're looking at today is why. That, that's probably the most relatable prayer for us humans, isn't it? Why? This this cry of, this is not the way it's meant to be. I think that's that's something that each and every one of us feel deep inside of our bones. And so those prayers, they're incredibly important because they, they allow us to be brutally honest with God. He invites us to do that. They, they, they help us to navigate this world that is utterly broken. They help us uh, to, to, to learn what to do with those feelings, right? And ultimately, they help us deal with sin. And God actually says that the first, the first step of dealing with those feelings is direct them to me. Shout them in my direction. And the prayers, the, these psalms, uh, give us uh, a way to do that. Um, they ultimately help us deal with sin, and, and sin is why we feel that things are not the way they're meant to be. Something is desperately wrong. Something is completely broken in this world, and so we cry out, God, where are you? And God, won't you come and fix this? And those are prayers that God's people have been crying and shouting out for thousands of years, really since Genesis chapter chapter 12, when God made this covenant with a man named Abram, and he, he promised that, that he would bless this one man's family, and, and his, his descendants would increase and grow, and, and they would eventually grow into a kingdom that would never end, and uh, this kingdom of everlasting peace and justice and, and righteousness, and, and ultimately through this family line, God would undo the, the, the wrong and the broken things in this world. And he will, through this family, bring blessing to the nations. And it's through a series of promises that God makes to to this chosen people. He he actually promises to send a savior, to to actually meet them in their darkness, and and to, to bring an answer for that prayer of, this is not the way it's meant to be. And through him will come ultimate blessing for the world. And through him, he will undo the wrong things in this world, but until he comes, they must wait. Until he comes, God says, you must trust me. You must wait in the darkness, and I'll be there with you. And so over these four Sundays of Advent, we're going to wait, we're going to enter into that anticipation of God's people as they awaited the, 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 the arrival of this Messiah this king's first arrival, but, but we enter into that longing as we continue to wait for him, him to come again. We, 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 we wait for his second advent, right? We celebrate his first arrival. Uh, we, we cling to the hope that we now have in Christ because he, he did first come. So we, we wait in the darkness with, with sad feelings and crying out those kind of prayers, but we don't have to do that with complete and utter desperation because we're waiting for him to come again a final time when he will come and, and bring the, the consummation of his kingdom once and for all. Um, let me pray one more time, and we'll look at Psalm 2. 
And Father, we thank you that you do not leave us in our darkness. You don't leave us completely hopeless. You come and you meet us right there. And Lord, would you help us to, to, to set our hopes on King Jesus? Would we see the, the glory of what he's brought, grace and mercy, forgiveness of sins, hope of life everlasting? And would you teach us this morning, Spirit, we pray. Amen. Um, hopefully you have your Bibles open to Psalm chapter 2. Um, this year, through Advent, we're going to journey through some messianic psalms. These are songs that, that really introduce us to this promised king who would arrive, who would come. Um, each of these psalms will not only align with uh, those traditional themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love, uh, but they'll ultimately uh, show us the person who brings us those gifts, Jesus Christ himself. Psalm 2 is what scholars call a royal psalm. Uh, some believe that this is a song that they would use uh, during the coronation of a new king of Israel. And, and so in, in a way, we, when we're approaching these psalms, we really have to approach them with two perspectives in mind. And in, in one sense, these are songs uh, that are regarding real historical Old Testament kings of Israel, uh, these descendants from David's line who would be anointed in these really specific times in history to, to, to reign and to lead God's people. Um, yet, all of these songs are pointing forward to the King of Kings, uh, the Christ, the Anointed One, who would come and accomplish God's purposes and His promises in full um, and actually, in the Gospels, Jesus says all of these Old Testament scriptures are really about him. Um, they're all pointing to him all along. These Old Testament kings, they're just foreshadows of the true king to come, Jesus. Right? So we must have those dual perspectives as we uh, look at these Psalms. Uh, the, the entire Psalter is breathed out by God's Spirit. So each of the, the Psalms is great. They're, they're, they're all incredibly needed. Uh, but Psalm 2 is a significant one. It's one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. Uh, we see it quoted famously in Acts chapter 4, where the early church really gives us this powerful interpretation uh, of the psalm. And we see that, that it really truly is actually about Jesus. Uh, in, in that scene in Acts 4, uh, the church praised this psalm after Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the gospel. Uh, they'd been arrested for pro proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And so their prayer in Acts 4 was a response to the persecution of the church as they proclaimed the kingdom of God. Right? They, they looked upon their threats and they pray for boldness as the believers continue to speak God's word and continue to proclaim the gospel and preach the kingdom. Right? So... That gives us a spoiler alert. The, the psalm is really about Jesus and how the nations rage against God. But let's step back into Psalm 2 and consider a bit of context. Um, as I already mentioned, God has chosen this people, Israel, to be his representatives on earth. Um, through a series of circumstances, he has made uh, David and his descendants to be these kings uh, in order to enable them to fulfill the very purpose that, that Abraham was called, which is to uh, bring blessing to the nations, blessing to the world. And, and so the, the, the hope of that blessing is now irrevocably tied to this house of David. Um, 
Now, just read the, the story of these kings of Israel, and you'll, you'll quickly see that they are far from fulfilling that role perfectly. Uh, some do a better job than others. Uh, some do a dreadful job, and they actually bring uh, disaster instead of blessing. But, but ultimately, they are preparing us and, and pointing us to the true, uh, better anointed one to come, Jesus Christ. And we see in, in verse 2 that these kings were called the Lord's anointed. They, they were literally anointed with oil at their coronation to be set apart and to be consecrated for this role. The, the Hebrew word for anointed is Mashiach. It's, it's where we get the word Messiah. It's also translated as Christ into the Greek, right? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, this is the Lord's anointed one, descended from David, who is, who is anointed by Samuel. Jesus is the, the true Messiah of Israel that they've been waiting for, who would come and finally bring lasting blessing. He comes and does what all of these kings could never perfectly do. And so in the, 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 this historical scene of Psalm 2, this is the nation of Israel who, who have been brought out of Egypt, out of captivity. They've, they've come through the wilderness and they've, they've settled into the land of Canaan and their, their kingdom has been established and, and they're reigning over these, these pagan Gentile nations, right? So that's the scene that's, that's happening here. And so let's read the beginning of, of Psalm 2. It says, Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord's, against the Lord and his anointed. So pause there. Here's the psalm that was written some three thousand years ago. And what has changed? Right? Just scroll through the news for a minute. Nothing has changed. Still the nation's rage, still the people's plot in vain. And the Bible tells us the reason behind it all, that the source of all of this raging is sin. And go back to the opening, opening scenes of Genesis where before the fall, before sin enters the world, Adam and Eve, they lived, they lived peacefully under God's reign. And they were actually created to be vice regents of the king on earth. They were created and given this role to have dominion and to rule as representatives of God. But Genesis 3 tells us that Adam and Eve, they were tempted by the serpent with that fruit that would open their eyes and make them like God. And they, 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 they take that bait because their, their desire to rule for themselves and, and to be in control and to be free from God's reign. And ever since, we have been dealing with this infection of this desire for self-sovereignty. Each of us, we have Adam's desire in us, Adam's sin, and we desire freedom from God's rule. In the Bible, this is the root of all the vain plotting and the raging in the world, is sin, a so-called uh, desire for freedom from God. Notice in verse 2, these uh, pagan kings, they set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. They say, let, let us burst their bonds apart and, and cast away their cords from us. You, you see the irony here? The irony is that the anointed one is this king who would bring blessing to the nations, even the pagan Gentile nations. It, it's through the rule 
of the anointed Davidic king that blessings would flow. It's through his rule that salvation under God's reign, right? And we, we, we see his rule, and, and, and they see his rule as captivity. They see his rule as oppression, just like Adam and Eve did. And, and so they rebel against him, and they stupidly cut themselves off from their only hope of knowing the true God. And that scene is what each and every one of us are born into. We are born with Adam's sin in us, with that instinct, with that desire to rebel and to push away God's reign over us. And we go our own way. And we, 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 we search for freedom and blessing and satisfaction and our identity everywhere besides under God's good rule. Right? We, we blindly cut ourselves off from knowing his peace and his blessing. And the Bible shows us that freedom, uh, that, that, that freedom from God is actually not freedom at all. It's actually bondage to yourself and the consequences of sin. And actually, most Bible scholars consider Psalms 1 and 2 to be a two-parter. They're, they're these doorways that you enter into the Psalter. And so if you, if you just look back up into Psalm chapter 1, you actually get this picture of what true freedom looks like. It, it tells us of the blessed man is someone who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Right? His delight is in God's law, and he meditates on God's law day and night. His delight is in God's rule. And it says he is a tree planted by streams of water. Right? He's fruitful. He, he doesn't wither away. He's, he, 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 this is someone who sees freedom. He sees his true flourishing as staying connected to God, as living under his good rule and walking according to his ways. He sees true flourishing, not as freedom from God, but by actually delighting in his rule. Right? That's what we were created for. We were, we were not created for self-sovereignty. That the, the evil one who hates God and hates you, he tempts us with that lie that God is smothering you. He is keeping you down. If only you get from under his grip, then you will truly thrive. It's this lie that says, yeah, there's, things are not the way they are meant to be, and the solution is found inside of you somewhere. And so determine for yourself what is good and true and right. Friends, that's the original lie from Genesis 3, yet it's the same one that is destroying the nations to this day. This is a scene of those who want to burst free and cast away God's rule in their life. And then in the next three verses, we get heaven's perspective on this rebellion. We see God's response to those who set themselves against him. Verse 2 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he speaks to them in his wrath and, and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. Okay, so, so this response is uh, fascinating. Uh, it's, it's powerful, and it's really important. What is the psalmist telling us about God here? 
Uh, firstly, he's almost using a bit of humor, isn't he? He's, he's comparing these earthly kings who have set themselves, who are counseling together against the Lord, and he says their response, his response to their plotting and their raging is to snicker. Right? The, the, the psalmist is wanting to make it abundantly clear that, that we are not dealing with equals here, that the Lord is not dismayed by their plotting, their raging. He, he is not challenged. He's ridiculing them. And if that's not disconcerting enough, verse 5 tells us that, that he, he, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. He says, okay, you're plotting against me. You've set yourselves against me. Well, here's my response. Here's my move. I have set my king on Zion in my holy hill. Okay, the, the, the psalmist tells us a few things about God here. Firstly, he laughs, okay, that, that he's, he's telling us that he is not like these earthly kings. They are not on par with God. He's not dismay, dis, dismayed by their actions, but there's, there's, some, there's something deeper here. With, with this laughter, he's telling us that, that he's a person. God is not some cosmic heavenly force that determines right and wrong. He's a person, and he feels, and he reacts, and he does so perfectly because he is righteous, and he is just, and he is merciful. And, and you see his, his perfect character and those attributes and the way that he responds to these scoffers. Yes, his wrath is kindled. His, his, his fury is terrifying because he's righteous, because he's just, and therefore, he cannot let wrongs be left undealt with. We don't want wrongs to be left undealt with, right? We, we, we like justice, and he cannot ignore our sin. That would prove him to be unjust, right? This is the God who fully agrees with you that this is not the way things are meant to be. It's not the way they're meant to be because of our sin, and because we are raging and plotting and pushing against God's rule. And so in order for him to come and, and make the, the, right thing, the wrong things right again and undo the wrong in the world, he must deal with our sin. And so he, he, he has a righteous and just wrath. He, he must have that in order to undo the wrong things in this world. But there's another aspect to consider, that, that his wrath can also be out of love. Um, a, a good parent gets angry with their child, right, when they are making mistake after mistake. They're, they're, they're making bad decision after bad decision, and they're wrecking their, their life. Right? Or imagine a little one darting out into the busy street, and we say, stop, get back here now. You know why? Because I care about you, because I love you, because I see you going into danger. And one of my favorite, uh, favorite videos that I've seen uh, on the internet is this, this short video of a family uh, deep frying their turkey. Have you ever seen anyone do that? It's incredibly dangerous. Um, uh, but it's this, this, it's this magical scene where this, this dad is about to deep fry a turkey. They're getting ready to do it for the first time. And, and it's like the holidays. And, and the mom, you can hear her excitement. She's like, we're going to deep. It's, it's Thanksgiving. It's an American, American couple. And uh, it's, they're just excitement is buzzing, and then their daughter tries to come out the door just behind the dad in this boiling pot of oil, 
and, and the mother says, no, not yet, go back inside, and, and she continues to, and the dad goes, go back inside, and she continues to come out, and he goes, go back inside, <laughs> and he shouts at her. And there's something in there. You don't, you, don't, you don't see that father raging and think, man, what a terrible dad. You think, what a good dad. Get out of the way. And, and so not only is God holy and righteous and just, we also see that he's merciful. In verse 6, we see that, that after having his wrath and fury stirred up, what's his immediate response? To destroy them? To wipe them off the face of the earth? They, they may deserve that because of the, uh, their sin against a holy God, but that's not his immediate response. His first response is to point them to the anointed one. He says, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So yes, the, the psalm says some, some shocking and, and terrifying things about God's wrath and his fury. But friends, don't miss out on what it says about his mercy and his love. The nations, they rage and plot and set themselves against God. And his move is to set his king on his holy hill. More in a minute about that merciful response. But let's look at verses 7 to 9, where we see who this king is and what he will do. From verse 7, the anointed one, the king that the Lord has set in place, he opens his mouth and he speaks. The Davidic king, he recalls what God said to him at his coronation. Verse 7 says, I will tell of his decree. So, so he's telling us what the God in heaven has, has told him, has said to him. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So who is this king? Well, his identity is found in who God declares him to be. And this psalm actually gives us a lot of insight into that identity. At verse 6, the Lord calls him my king. So he, he is God's chosen. Verse 6, the Lord says, I've set him on my holy hill. He, he sits on God's throne. Verse 7, the Lord calls him my son. He is God's chosen. He's God's begotten. Verse 8, the Lord tells him to, to pray, to, to ask him, and he will make the nations his heritage. This king comes together to, to gather God's people. Verse 8, the, the ends of the earth are his possession. Right? He, he, he not only uh, inherits a people, but he inherits and he rules over all of creation. In verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like, potter, like, like potter's vessel. This king is judge. He's come to undo the wrong in the world, which means he's come to, to judge our sin. Okay, we're, we're meant to see the, the contrast between the kings of the earth here who, who set themselves against God and his anointed and the king that God has set in place. And when you compare those, you see that, that he has no rival. 
Okay, here's this, this king who is unlike the rebellious kings of verses 1 to 3. This is the king who brings God's kingdom. And when the Lord tells this to them, he is speaking it to them in his wrath, in his terrifying fury, right? Because this is the king who comes from heaven. This is God's chosen. This is his only begotten son who sits on God's throne, who comes to judge the world and who will shatter those who are against him. He will shatter those who are against his kingdom of righteousness and peace. He's come to undo the wrong things in this world. And it's terrifying news for these wicked kings. And it's terrifying news for each of us who refuse to submit to his lordship. So what do we do in response to the coming of this king? Well, praise the Lord that, that, that not only is he righteous and just and, and will come to undo the wrongs in this world by smashing the enemies of his kingdom, praise the Lord, he's that, but he's also merciful. He also comes and he, he gives us a chance to repent and be saved. Remember 1 Timothy 2 says that he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's, that's a peek inside of his heart. Yes, his judgment is to be feared, but he's also merciful. And he proves that mercy by coming to the earth, not firstly as the warring judge king that he is, but firstly as a servant. This king comes in order to seek and save the lost. He comes to pursue his enemies first and to offer them hope and mercy, and he gives his life as a ransom. He, he, he actually absorbs the wrath of God in our place by taking our sins upon himself on the cross, right? He doesn't ignore our sins. He pays the penalty of them himself, and he bids the sinner to believe in him, to come to him. He's the king who will rule forever. Now is the chance to submit yourself to him and receive his love. And so the psalm ends with this call to respond to his mercy. It ends with this offer of hope. Verse 10 says, Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. What, what a merciful plea to these enemies of God. O kings, be wise. Be warned. Warnings are merciful, aren't they? They're, 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 they're loving. You see that in war, like a, 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 na a warring nation that doesn't first warn is, is evil. It must first warn. And that's what is happening here. Verse 10 says, therefore, or because of who this king is, and because of what he will do, there's a decision to make. And the choice is clear. He gives us these two choices. Either serve the Lord with, with fear, with, with respect, knowing who he is, and rejoice with trembling and kiss the sun, or perish in his wrath. And you might be thinking, wow, that's the message of the Bible? It's pretty harsh, isn't it? What an unloving message. 
Friends, I'd argue the complete opposite is true. Actually, a well-known atheist would argue the opposite. And Penn Gillette, who's one half of the magician duo, Penn and Teller, um, he said this as an atheist. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, and you think that it's, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make things socially awkward. An atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize or say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate someone not to share the gospel? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He says, I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming out you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. Friends, that's exactly what Psalm 2 is trying to do. It's this loud, shocking, aggressive, yet loving warning that there is a truck bearing down on you. You see, the, the root of all of our sin is this desire to be free from God. And the message of this psalm is, is to choose self-sovereignty is to be broken with the rod of iron and dashed like pottery. The wrath of God is for his enemies, but his enemies are those who, who don't fear him. But to take refuge in him is to be blessed. It's to receive the promises of the covenant, to be part of the inheritance given to the king by God. It's possible. You see, the, 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 the king in Psalm 2, it's pointing us to Jesus. He was a, the, the king in Psalm 2, was, he just foreshadowed Jesus. It's through the line of David, through the, these Old Testament kings. Um, David's line failed to be the king in Psalm 2. But in Advent, we have the coming of one who inherited the promises of Psalm 2. And Jesus comes and he fulfills this psalm. Like I said at the start, Acts chapter 4, and then in Revelations chapter 11, it, it shows us that, that Jesus is the one whom the world is plotting against. We see in the Gospels that, that Jesus is the one who is declared to be the Son of God. Actually, in, in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul puts all of this together, and he says, Jesus, he's the one who is descended from David. He's this Davidic king, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. So, so Paul does this thing where he, he presents Jesus' resurrection as this coronation event, and God declares him to be this son. He says, Jesus, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the one who will inherit the nations. 
Revelation, Revelation 12 and 10 shows us that Jesus will indeed rule the world with a rod of iron. And, but that, that rod of iron isn't like this, this scepter that a king welds. It's more of a, a staff that a, king, that, that a shepherd holds who defends his kingdom. He's telling us that he will judge justly and strike down the wicked. He's, he's undoing the wrong things in this world in justice. Friends, the, the king, he is powerful and he is righteous and he is good and he will bring about peace by ridding the world of evil, but he's also merciful. He loves you and he wants you to be saved. What, what an offer of hope do we find in that final line of Psalm 2? Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Won't you take refuge in him? That there's eternal blessing found only in him. So maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus and you need to take refuge for him for the very first time. That, that looks like repenting. That looks like turning away from that desire for self-sovereignty and letting him rule over your life. It's only through him that you'll find forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Or maybe you're sitting there and you, you do call yourself a Christian. What does this look like in your life right now? Are you continuing to take refuge in him? Does your life reflect Psalm 1? Does it reflect John 15? Are you abiding in Jesus? Is your refuge in this king? Are you continuing to take refuge in him? Do you believe that apart from him you can do nothing? Does your life reflect that? Are you delighting in God's rule? Are you walking in his ways and submitting to him in every area of your life? If you are, you'll be like a tree planted by the water. You'll flourish instead of perish. You see, this king, he comes to offer us hope, but there's a decision to make. Um, would you stand with me and we'll pray. Father, we thank you that you, just like I prayed at the start, Lord, uh, earlier, would, would you, I would just thank you that you, you offer us hope, and we, we thank you that you, you send your son to enter into our darkness, um, to, to, you're a God who knows the pain of this world, you're a God that, that knows that things are not the way they're meant to be yet you're a God of action. Uh, you, you enter into our darkness uh, to offer us hope, to offer us peace, to offer us forgiveness of sins, to offer us life eternal in your kingdom. Uh, we confess, Lord, that, uh, that that desire in us to, uh, to reign ourselves, and we do uh, push against your rule 
Uh, that, that instinct of Adam um, is so thick in our lives. And the only answer is uh, you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who uh, maybe need to see that for the very first time today. I pray you'd soften hearts. And may we see the, 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 the grace on offer. We see your love. Um, Lord, I pray for those who um, are long followers of Jesus and they need to be reminded again that our only refuge is in you. Um, would you help us, Lord, uh, to remain with you? Would you help us to uh, cling to you, Jesus? And would you help us to navigate uh, the darkness and the sadness of this world and to set our hope that you're coming again, that you are coming again to undo all of this wrong, to cast away evil, and our only hope is in you. Um, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done.